Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. It would be nice to have a selection of obscure words which are kind of aggressively useless. Coming up on this special edition of Word Matters, obscure words of the useless variety. I'm Emily Brewster, and Word Matters is produced by Merriam-Webster in collaboration with New England Public Media. On each episode, Merriam-Webster editors explore some aspect of the English language from the dictionary's vantage point. Sometimes, a perfectly good word will, through no fault of its own, fall out of use. Other times, a word gets tossed because it's a victim of its own specificity, or because it doesn't actually do anything. Today, we're joined by editor Amon Shea with some highly obscure and ultimately rather useless words. The other day we were talking about obscure words and how many people have this fascination with obscure words in English. And we did an episode where we tried to bring to light some of the lesser known obscure words which might be useful in everyday life. And as we did that, I also was thinking it would be nice to have a selection of obscure words which are kind of aggressively useless, words which have almost no likelihood of being applicable, we hope, in your everyday life because they are beauties in and of themselves. They serve Words no other for purpose. word's sake. Exactly. Words for word's sake. And if we start with the A's, one of my favorites is anatiferous, which is defined as producing geese. Can you give us an example of something that would be antiferous? Well, no. What is geese producing? Well, the it, eggs? It, these goose well, eggs? I think it was Blount in a dictionary in the 17th century. He was one of the first to define it. And as far as I can tell, there was this theory that Barnacles would grow on trees, and then the barnacles would fall into the water, and then these became geese. And this kind of gave rise to somehow to the word anatiferous. Now, we should point out that Samuel Johnson in the 18th century defined anatiferous as producing ducks, and we disagree with that strongly. We've Very always defined it as producing geese. So this is a word that is <clears throat> reflective of a cosmology that we have now abandoned, this right. idea that creatures will spring from, exactly. from things other than eggs or right, seeds. Right, right. And a lot of peculiar words having to do with birds, many of which have fallen by the wayside. Are there any that have to do with, there used to be an understanding that mice grew from rags. A pile of rags was a source of mice. No, I have never come across this. I bet there's a word out there, Emma. There must be. Maybe you can find it. Uh, we'll take a look. We have a lot of other kind of odd bird words. Another lovely one is peristeronic, which we define as of or relating to pigeons, which particularly if you live in an urban area, you might well find that applicable. I have to admit in this case, although I'm a huge fan of our definitional style, I do like that the Oxford English Dictionary defines it, I think it's a little more poetically as suggestive of pigeons, because suggestive of pigeons just has a really kind of nice ring to it. We also use suggestive in our definitional language pretty frequently. We define cabbagey as suggestive of a cabbage and avuncular as suggestive of an uncle. So the OED doesn't get all the poetic glory in this. Avuncular also reminds me that many of our listeners know the word avuncular, which means suggestive of an uncle, especially in kindliness or geniality. And people have occasionally asked, isn't there a similar word for ant? And there is. It's maternal, which is suggestive or resembling an ant, particularly on the, a maternal ant. 
It doesn't have the same rolling off the tongue. No, it doesn't. I think that's one of the reasons it never really caught on. Can you say it again? Well, I can, but I'm probably mispronouncing it. So metertural, M-A-T-E-R-T-E-R-A-L. Yeah, that's just not an easy word. It's a hard sell. It's kind of like remunerative. It's, you know, everybody wants to say remunerate. Looking at Antitiferous, these 17th century lexicographers who came up with these insane words reminded me of Henry Cockrum, who was a wonderful, though not exactly precise lexicographer in the early 17th century, had a, a number of these kind of animal words, which are really peculiar. And Cockrum was, he was the undisputed master of defining words pertaining to crying out like some creature. He had words like desticate, which was to cry like a rat, pupillate, cry like a peacock, glaucotate, cry like a whelp, glacitate, to cry like a gander, cucubate, to cry like an owl, crochet, to cry like a raven, and my personal favorite, babocotate, to cry like a cowboy. And that's cowboy in two words, not like wow. a modern sense of a word. Did he have one for foxes? He did not have one for crying like a fox, but he did have vulpeculated, which means robbed by a fox. Ah. So... But still the, you know, the song, What Does the Fox Say? Yeah, he didn't have any foreknowledge of that. I appreciate, though, his desire to really give human language to these cries of various animals. You say that now, but if you look through Cockerham, you start to question that appreciation for some of his creations. And they may not all have been his creations, but there is some speculation that Cockerham, in fact, made up some of these words. Bobocotate, to cry like a cowboy, should not be confused with the very similar-sounding bulbtate, which is... A regrettable word. There's really no polite way of defining it other than to say it means to defecate in one's pants. And Cockrum had a real strength in words of this nature. I want both of those words in a sentence, though. (laughs) I can make you take that back with the next word, which actually didn't come from Cockrum, but since we're moving into this kind of unfortunate territory and we are describing words which we really hope will never be applicable in your everyday life, Jumentus is one of the most peculiar English words because it means of urine resembling that of a horse in odor. So if you ever need a truly odd example of how the English language works. Or if you're a horsey person or a large animal veterinarian, for example. Yeah, that's true. We do have a real wealth of words relating to animal odors. For instance, we have several words, hircinus and ramish, which means smelling like a goat. Caprylic, which means suggestive of an animal in rank pungency. We have a huge number of really peculiar kind of smell words, and I think there's a good reason why most of these kind of fell by the wayside, because they're not really that pleasant to think about sometimes. Well, and maybe also our experiences are now more often removed from animals than they were formerly. At some point when these words were in use, people were in more frequent contact with animals than most of us are now, I imagine. That is true, but that doesn't explain why we have not held on to nitorosity, which is, it's a meat burp. There's no other way to put that kind of politely. Samuel Johnson defined it as erectation, which means burp, with the taste of undigested roast meat. Can you say it again, please? Nitorosity. Nitor is the smell of cooked meat. Nitorous means smelling like burning animal matter. I think some of us wish that we were far removed from this in today's day and age, but I think we're not actually. And we so, just pretend it doesn't exist. Yeah, we just pretend that nitorosities are not part of our everyday life, and we hope that it continues to be so. If we are going to talk about food words, though, I think we might as well have a nicer one, which is gentacular, which means pertaining to breakfast. And somehow we've given up on gentacular and never really 
made the cut. Yeah, I feel like that could really be brought in. There are all these restaurants that uh, breakfast places could use gentacular. They could use G-E-N-T-A-C-U-L-A-R. There really are a dearth of good J words also, I think, in common use. Absolutely. So this is a word that's got a lot going for it, yeah. I think. Gentacular. It's perfect. For other obscure words, I wouldn't call it useless, but they're not coming up that often. But I was just thinking about this one today. Scytherism, spelled with a P, is defined as a whispering sound as of wind among leaves. That is a nice one. It's such a pretty word. We should leave the jumentus and the niterosity behind, and let's just all think about Scytherism. Fine with me. We'll have more obscure words from Merriam-Webster editor Amon Shea in future episodes. Let us know what you think about Word Matters. Review us on Apple Podcasts or send us an email at wordmatters at m-w.com. You can also visit us at nepm.org. And for the word of the day and all your general dictionary needs, visit merriam-webster.com. Our theme music is by Tobias Voigt. Artwork by Annie Jacobson. Word Matters is produced by Adam Maid and John Vosey. For Neil Servan, Amon Shea, and Peter Sokolowski, I'm Emily Brewster. Word Matters is a production of Merriam-Webster in collaboration with New England Public Media.